Well, happy Easter. He is risen. Let's pray. God, you are risen. Jesus, you are risen. You are the one who came and died for us, but you did not stay in the grave. You are risen, and we are so grateful. May you be praised today. May you be glorified and lifted up. And God, I pray that may we be changed by the resurrection power that lives in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a great day. This is like, this is like, you know, uh, giving meat to a bulldog for a pastor on Easter. I mean, we, we love Easter. But you know what the crazy thing is? Every Sunday is Easter because he is alive. He really is alive. You know, this, this is a celebration today of an actual event that happened in history. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross. He died. He was put in that tomb, and that tomb was sealed. But a couple of days later, he did not stay in that tomb. He is alive. And this is an event that split all of history between B.C., in AD. This is the most significant event in the history of the world. See, on, on Good Friday, Jesus was that perfect, sinless Passover lamb that died on the cross. He died to bring us forgiveness and restoration with God. He died that God and his creation could be made right together to bring forgiveness. But death was not the end. It was not the end. He rose again on that third day. He proved victory over, ultimate victory over sin and death. And right now, it is amazing, but billions of people around the world are worshiping Jesus as one church, saying, you have risen from the dead and we worship you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. See, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that is Sunday's story. The resurrection is Sunday's story. It's a story of life and victory and restoration and forgiveness and hope. And we could go on and on about Sunday's story. Sunday's story is the one that you and I have been invited to join. We are invited to participate in Sunday's story. But unfortunately, many of us, many of us are still living in Saturday's story. Saturday's story is very different than Sunday's story. Because Saturday's story is a story of disappointment and hopelessness. It's a story that's thrust upon us without warning. It's like, it's like those deep, agonizing events that kind of happen to us. They crush the very core of our being. You know, the sorrow of being told that, that you're never going to be able to have children of your own. The, the, the grief when a child dies. The the rejection of a spouse saying that, that they no longer love you. That that. That is, the, that is Saturday's story. Those are, those are the events that change the trajectory of your life, you know? Those are the ones that they rob you of hope and meaning. See, those are Saturday's stories. And I imagine that, that level of grief, as those disciples stared at Jesus on that cross on that Friday, they were stunned and hopeless and grief-stricken. See, I think that to comprehend the immense hope and joy of Sunday's story... Sometimes we need to, to compare it to Saturday's story. See, three years earlier, you got to imagine, three years before Jesus rose from the dead, those disciples, they chose to follow him. They, they gave up their careers, they gave up their communities, and they followed this man around. 
They truly thought he was the Messiah. They truly thought that by following Jesus, they were following the one who was sent from God. Jesus had been an incredible teacher. He had healed so many people. He even raised people from the dead. In him was hope, new hope for the future. See, messiahs are victorious. Messiahs conquer. Messiahs do not hang on crosses. Yet here was Jesus on that Friday afternoon, hanging, helpless, a mangled, bloody mess, nails in his feet and hands. They, you just imagine those disciples must have stared at him in disbelief. How could this be? I mean, this is the man who calmed the storm. Why can't he save himself? They wanted him to come down from that cross so badly. You know they did. But he just hung there, naked, broken, dying. And the only conclusion that made any sense was that maybe, maybe they were wrong. Maybe he wasn't the Messiah. Maybe, maybe this was all a foolish mistake. That Saturday had to have been the worst day of their lives. Had to have been. Nothing could hurt more because Jesus was dead. Their hope was dead. Their plan, their trajectory for the future, dead. Everything they believed about God's work in their lives on that Saturday, in that, it was vanished. It was gone. What do they do now? Where do they go from here? That was Saturday. But then came Sunday. Then came Sunday. You know, Mary Magdalene, she was the first to see Jesus. Early on, she had been healed by Jesus and had followed him ever since. She was there when, when Jesus breathed his final breath. And now here she was, going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And there he is, standing before her, talking to her. When, when that conversation ended, she just, she did the only thing that she knew to do. She ran to the disciples and she runs in and she tells them that she has seen Jesus. He is alive and he is well. And Mark 16 says, she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Can you imagine how ridiculous this sounded to them? I mean, she must have been hallucinating, right? She, she, she must have mistaken this for somebody else because they watched as Jesus' limp, lifeless body was taken off that cross and put in that tomb. They saw the blood and the water spill from his wound in his side. There was no doubt Jesus was dead. There's nothing that she could have ever said to make them believe any different. Because they were there. They saw it. But then, right as she's finishing the story, two other disciples of Jesus come in. Two other followers. They were on their way to this town called Emmaus, just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And then, while they were walking, a man started walking with them. And they had no idea who he was. And as they walked, they all discussed what had happened in Jerusalem as Jesus died on the cross that day. And they didn't know what to do. And, and they told the man in, in Luke 24, they said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. Luke doesn't say this, but the feeling is, but we were wrong. 
This all happened three days ago. But then the stranger, it says, took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they walked and they talked. And then around dinner time, the men invited this stranger to eat with them. And it says that as they sat down to eat, <clears throat> he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that very moment, poof, he disappeared. He was gone. And they were, you could just imagine, they were like, could, could this be? I mean, did you see, could this really be Jesus? Verse 32, it says, they, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord, he's really risen. And so it's like, first there was Mary and now there was these two men. It, it, it's too much to take in. But then, as the two men are finishing their story, Scripture tells us, Luke tells us, that Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Shalom. And the whole group, you gotta love this, the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. They still didn't believe it. I mean, Jesus is standing there right in front of them, but they can't get out of Saturday. They're living in Saturday's story. And they think, maybe this is a ghost. So Jesus says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. And make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because uh, <laughs> ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. In verse 41, it says, they still, still they stood there in disbelief filled with joy and wonder. And then Jesus asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. And you can imagine, Jesus is eating and they're like, is he really eating fish? I mean, I'm thinking, I would have asked for pizza, but that's, that's a different story. But ghosts definitely do not eat. And then Jesus explained in verse 44, See, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. But unfortunately, one of the disciples, one of the 12, Thomas, he wasn't there. He missed the whole thing. He missed it. And when he got back, everybody started sharing about what happened. And I mean, there were, you know, there were the, the two guys from Emmaus there and the Mary Magdalene and the 11 and, or the 10. And they're all like, we saw him. We talked to him. He ate fish. And they're just blown away sharing this with Thomas. Jesus is alive. But for Thomas, Saturday's story was still too much to overcome. And so what did Thomas say? Thomas replied to them, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. See, I got to tell you, I really appreciate Thomas because Thomas is me. 
Thomas is me. See, Thomas is like, I love you guys. I do. I trust you guys. We have walked together for three years, but, but, but it's just too much. I was there. My heart was crushed when they took Jesus' dead body off of that cross. I wept over him. I just, I just need some more proof. And do you know what happened next? It's not what you think. Because there was silence. For eight days, silence. Yet the silence of God does not mean that he is done. The silence of God for those eight days does not mean he is absent because he was doing work. And then it says, eight days later, the disciples were together again and this time Thomas was with them and the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he looked at Thomas and he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger right here. Look at my hands. Put your finger in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And it says that Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Jesus was alive. Everything that had been promised was true. He is the Messiah. He is God. The disciples, they were such real people, just like you and me. They saw Jesus beaten and crucified. They saw him put in that tomb. What could ever make them think that Jesus was risen from the dead? Because they sure didn't trust Mary's testimony. They sure didn't trust those two disciples on the way to Emmaus. The only thing that could ever change their mind was witnessing, seeing, talking with, watching him eat, the risen Jesus was alive. They didn't just see him one by one. They saw him in groups. They didn't just see him one time. It was many times. The apostle Paul later wrote, he said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been also passed on to me, that Christ died on Good Friday. He died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Verse five, he was seen by Peter and then the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. They're still alive. Just go ask them. The 500, I mean, a couple of them have died, but most of them are alive. 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus at the same time. But here, right here, this is the evidence that even causes atheist scholars to recognize that Jesus' disciples, they truly believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Because look at, look at this next passage. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had not been born at the wrong, or as, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So the disciples saw Jesus and Mary and the two to Emmaus and 500 others. But then there was James and there was Paul. See, James was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was alive. In fact, James was Jesus' brother. He was a child of Mary and Joseph. He was one of Jesus' younger brothers. And he did not follow Jesus before the crucifixion. You've got to wonder, what would it take for a brother 
to recognize his brother as the Messiah. You know, I mean, Jesus is healing people, raising people from the dead. And James is like, I know him. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So he, he grew up not being a follower of Jesus. Paul was a radical Pharisee. He saw Christianity as a cult and he made it his mission to hunt down Christians and clear the name of the holy God. He wanted to get rid of this heresy. But both of them encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in person. And both of them were so convinced that they became devout followers of Jesus. James eventually became the leader of the Jerusalem church. Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And both of them, both of them died by beheading because they could not stop sharing that they had seen the risen Jesus. See, what causes a guy who was Jesus' brother, who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I mean, no matter what Jesus did, he was not convinced. What causes a guy like that to change on a dime? What? Sure wasn't power. Sure wasn't money. He sure didn't want to do it for fame. Because what he got out of the deal was a beheading. What causes somebody to change? He saw the risen Jesus. He saw the risen Jesus. Do you know why we celebrate the resurrection? It's the same reason they celebrated the resurrection. Because it really happened. It really happened. This this is not pie in the sky. This is an event that happened in history. Almost all of those original followers of Jesus were martyred for sharing the story. See, almost every scholar agrees, secular, Christian, it doesn't matter. It is common history, the belief in history, that Jesus died around 30 to 33 AD. And something, something happened that caused Jesus' followers to go from mourning, M-O-U-R-N, mourning and grieving, to celebrating and sharing this message that Jesus had risen from the dead. Something caused that, and it was almost overnight. And the one explanation with the most evidence is that the resurrection really happened, that they saw the risen Jesus. And I'm telling you, in the scholarly world, it's a tough one. It's a conundrum because all evidence points to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And some go, but we know that couldn't happen, so we have to come up with, but the evidence is there. Search it out. Jesus, he's alive. Jesus is alive. And seeing him alive changed everything for those early disciples. It gave them hope. It compelled them to go into all the world, proclaiming what they had seen, offering life and hope and restoration and forgiveness and salvation that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. See, this story of hope, this story of joy and victory and and God working in the everyday, even in suffering, this story is, is, is a story that has been repeated over and over throughout history by followers of Jesus. But even more meaningful for us, it's a story that is played over and over in the lives of people, even in this room. It has. You see, right here in this room, there are people whose lives have been transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Right here in this room, lives have been changed because of Jesus. There are marriages in here who have, that, have, that were hopelessly uh, destitute. I mean, there was just very little hope. 
Yet God did a work and changed everything and brought life to a dead relationship right in this room. There are addicts in here who, who saw nothing but defeat in their future. Yet through submitting their lives to Jesus, they have found hope day by day by day. They trust in Jesus every day to help them get one more day. In this room are people who are on the brink of financial ruin. Yet by submitting their lives to Jesus, they've now begun, begun to view all of their money, all of their lives as stewards to God. They see everything as his. In this room is story after story after story of people whose lives have been changed by the power of the living Christ. In fact, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same incredible power that could bring Jesus back from the dead is available and at work right here. The same power that raised Christ from the dead can change your life too. It's true. I believe that same power is drawing you to Christ right now. I believe that that same power that the, that the Holy Spirit is drawing people to follow Jesus now so that he can begin doing that very slow sometimes transforming work that step by step in your life as you follow Jesus, he begins to make you more and more like him. The Apostle Paul said one more passage I wanted to read. He said, I also pray. Let me see. I might have missed it. Will you guys go to Ephesians 1, that verse? says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. See, when you choose to follow Jesus, when you recognize that your way isn't good enough, that you can't do it all on your own, when you allow Jesus to begin molding you into his image, God begins to transform you by his resurrection power. It's not that you finally become good enough. It's not that you finally become um, committed enough or disciplined enough. No. It is by the power of God living in you, the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And when that happens, oh, changes everything. So my question is, Regardless of where you are with God, some of you in here, you are passionately following him. Some have been running your whole life and some have just been skeptical. I get it. But regardless of where you are, I challenge you to say, God, reveal yourself to me. Draw me. I promise you this that there is no greater decision in your life that you could make than to choose to follow Jesus. No greater decision. It can be a brand new direction in your life. Like those disciples that went from Saturday, destitute, hopeless, grieving, to Sunday, one day later, joy-filled, hopeful, knowing they have a future, that happened because of the resurrection power of Jesus. God wants to do that in you. He does. I would really, I, I would encourage you. Would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? 
And I don't say that for any other reason except that this is a time just between you and the Lord. Draw a circle around yourself. There is nobody in this room but you and God. I want to I offer you a time to just talk to him, you and him together. I would love to lead you in a time to commit your life to Jesus if, if that's something that you would choose to do. And again, I said it before, whether you are a follower of Jesus or whether you are, uh, you are not, I think that choosing, saying yes to Jesus is something that we do every day. And I would encourage you just in the quietness of your heart to pray a prayer something like this to the Lord. Just to pray, Jesus, I need you. I need you. <clears throat> I need forgiveness. I need direction. And I need life. Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you, and I choose to follow you today. I pray, Jesus, that the same power that rose you from the dead will transform my life and bring life to me. Help me, Jesus, to follow you.